Steve worked there for a while cooking. While cooking there, he went to these burrito shops in the Mission District where people had had these giant flour tortillas and they were wrapping the food inside. And he thought, wow, what if I do the same thing, but, but bring his own cooking skill to making sure that that which went inside the tortilla was something extraordinary. So something as ordinary as a burrito, but brought to the level of the extraordinary by virtue of what he put inside. So he told me about that and I said, oh, that's cool. That's a cool idea. And he told me about the name Chipotle and I thought, oh, I'm not sure about that name. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Mind Valley podcast. We've been having a lot of incredible entrepreneurs come onto Mind Valley, and today's guest is no exception. This week alone, we have a variety of entrepreneurial legends. Elon Musk's mom is going to be coming on talking about raising Elon. How about that? We recently had the former CEO of Netflix on, and now we're talking to the former CEO of Chipotle. Now, I love Netflix and Chipotle. In fact, if there are two companies that create for me the perfect after work experience, it's Netflix. My favorite show is Cobra Kai. And then it's Chipotle my favorite meal of all time. And so I was so delighted when I got to interview Mark Randolph of Netflix a couple of weeks back. And now we have Monty Moran, the CEO of Chipotle. Chipotle, by the way, is now worth a stunning $35.5 billion. When Monty wrote his book, it was $23 billion. The stock has been on an uptrend, but imagine that, folks. Imagine creating a restaurant chain that is so loved, so loved that it has a $35 billion valuation that roughly 1.5 million people eat there every single week. Monty, is that number correct? Every day. Every single day. And the food is fresh. The food is amazing. And it's created these raving fans. Now, if you read Monty's book, Love is Free, guac is extra, you will kind of understand that this is not an ordinary mind. You would think you'd be reading a book and starting a restaurant, but instead, Monty goes on to talk about topics as diverse as authenticity, as Buddhism, as love in the workplace. Reading it doesn't sound like you're talking to a CEO. You're not, he's not talking about numbers. He's not talking about the traditional stuff. He's talking about being real. And maybe that's why Chipotle seems to generate this almost metaphysical love among its fans, me included. I was just telling Monte that when I do road trips in the United States with my team, we're rushing from one shoot to another shoot. So a couple of years back, we were traveling from LA to San Diego. And I remember plotting on Google Maps the best optimal route so we can swing by Chipotle <laughs> for lunch. And that was like the highlight of the trip. So Monty, I don't know how you do it, but congratulations for building such a beloved brand and writing such an incredible book. And your latest project, the documentary, Connected, we'll be talking about that too. But Monty, welcome to Mind Valley. Thank you so much, Vishen. It's great to be here with you today. Monte, first, tell us about, so our audience is really international, right? But tell us, give us a little bit of a backstory. How did Chipotle begin? What started it all? Well, so the founder of Chipotle is Steve Ells. Steve and I knew each other in college, and Steve was an ma amazing chef, really, really great cook. And in college, of course, I was broke, and he started inviting me to these dinner parties he'd have at his house, and he'd cook these amazing meals. I mean, something that you'd get at, you know, a white tablecloth, super high-end restaurant. When I was invited to these dinners, since I was broke and loved food, I would always say yes, changing whatever plans I had to make sure to, to go to these dinners. And at these dinners, Steve would be in the kitchen cooking, and when Steve cooked in the kitchen, he cooked with such incredible focus and determination and every detail mattered. And when you came into his house, the table was set, the mood was set, the candles were right, the temperature was right. There was nothing left to chance. And he was really, he was a real artist with what he did. So I was really taken by that. And then I didn't just sit by and watch him cook. I was so fascinated to learn it that I would jump in and say, how can I help? And I really meant it. And so he would take advantage of that and started to teach me how he made great food. And I started to get more and more into cooking. And so at some point, when I had gone out to Los Angeles to become a lawyer, Steve and I stayed in touch and he was saying, hey, I'm going to start this restaurant. I'm thinking of, you know, having this burrito restaurant because when he had worked in San Francisco at a restaurant called Stars, which at that point was a really hot restaurant in the United States with the chef Jeremiah Tower, who's very famous. 
And Jeremiah had come from Alice Waters Chez Panisse in San Francisco. So he had this great pedigree. So Steve worked there for a while cooking. While cooking there, he went to these burrito shops in the Mission District where people had had these giant flour tortillas and they were wrapping the food inside. And he thought, wow, what if I do the same thing, but bring his own cooking skill to making sure that that which went inside the tortilla was something extraordinary. So something as ordinary as a burrito, but brought to the level of the extraordinary by virtue of what he put inside. So he told me about that. And I said, oh, that's cool. That's a cool idea. And he told me about the name Chipotle. And I thought, I'm not sure about that name. (laughs) But of course, I came to love it as everyone else did. But anyway, so he had myself and my dad and a couple other friends over to his house one time to sort of you know, feed us the first burrito, you know, to make these burritos and see what we thought. And I went into his house again. And, and I remember being disappointed when I heard that we were going to have burritos for dinner. <laughs> Actually, I was like, oh, wow, we're not going to have one of these awesome meals. Well, eh, okay, it'll still be fun. So I went over to his house and he was finishing up making a, uh, you know, huge pork shoulder, which he had seasoned with all sorts of wonderful things. And anyways, he was dicing that up. And ultimately he had put together these burritos and we sat down to eat them and God, they were unbelievable. They were way too good. It's like each bite you felt guilty swallowing it because, uh, you know, because it was gone forever. <laughs> anyway, so I thought, this is great. And so my dad, right, I didn't have any money, but my dad right away said, hey, can I invest? And Steve's like, no, I've already got the, you know, my dad already, he had already gotten an investment from his father of $85,000 for which his father acquired a decent chunk of the company. Best investment that Bob Ells ever made, his father. And from that point, Steve, not too long after that, opened the first Chipotle on Evans Street in Denver, Colorado. Very small, 850-square-foot unit. And it just took off. And Steve was behind the counter cooking himself and making these beautiful burritos. And so at that time, I was a trial lawyer in Los Angeles, and I moved back to Denver to start working in Denver. And then Steve started asking me to get involved as a lawyer, and that's how I I got involved as Chipotle's general counsel. What year did the first Chipotle open? 93. Yeah, 1993. June of 93, I think, is the anniversary. Wow. What I like about that story is that, you know, it's so it's so simple. Steve started a restaurant chain doing what he loved with an $85,000 loan from his dad. It's such a humble story. You didn't invent a big new technology. You didn't have to go to venture capitalists. Started doing something that he was mad about. And I love that he was putting his passion for cooking into what he was doing. I think that's an important lesson there for everyone who's listening. But I'm curious, what made you guys suddenly decide to multiply? What was the thing that made you decide not to stop at one restaurant, but to start scaling this? Well, you know, Steve's reason for building Chipotle was actually because Steve wanted to open a white tablecloth restaurant, a really high-end restaurant. And he knew that the economics of that were very, very troublesome. Like most of those restaurants went out of business quickly. So so he built Chipotle to be, you know, something that he thought had a high degree of likelihood of success that could be a cash cow that could produce enough money so he could do what he really wanted to do, which have this high-end restaurant. But when it was that successful, it was, okay, well, let's just do one more. Okay, and he thought, then let's just do one more. And then, so he did a few more, and the second one was more successful than the first by far. And then uh, the third one was hugely successful. Okay, maybe we have something here. And so then, you know, we started uh, really focusing on expanding more and more because people were calling for Chipotle in all their various neighborhoods. Hey, bring one to my neighborhood. So it was a neat problem to have (laughs) that people wanted us to expand. That is amazing. Now let's talk about you. When you became the co-CEO of Chipotle, you brought in a very unique touch. If you had to describe it, Monty, and, and I'll ask it this way, you know, I've always said to my audience that every great entrepreneur, every great CEO, everyone who's doing something truly great in the world has some essence that defines them. I remember once asking this question to Elon Musk, and what Elon said was his essence, what gave him his gift, was the ability to have high tolerance for pain. Interpret that however you want to, right? But that was what, how Elon described his essence. What is your essence? What is that DNA within you that gave you the gift to be part of Chipotle and to help grow it to what it became? Well, if I was to say anything, I get my thrill out of helping others be at their best. I like it if I can see that I can be a positive influence in someone's life. And I find that the best way I can be a positive influence in anyone's life ever is by being completely vulnerable and open and accepting. And so I've got this vulnerability where for some reason, even though I'm perfectly insecure in the ways other people are insecure, and and, uh, even though I take things personally, and but somehow I always have a trust that if I am just my authentic self, that I will be able to forge a great relationship with anybody. 
and I really love people. And I, it's not just like I love people as a species. I mean, sure, that's not what I mean. What I mean is when I come to actually sit and look at someone, I always find in them something that I'm blown away by, like right away. And so I tend to really connect with other people and, I'm, and I find so much to admire in other people. And it doesn't matter who they are. It's not more important that they're a big shot rather than a small shot. In fact, I've learned almost everything I've learned in my life from people who are small shots. <laughs> you know, people who are, you know, not executives and, and who are entry-level workers at Chipotle or whatever. And so when I just look into someone's eyes and spend time with them and I'm really present with them, at that point, I find a connection. And from that connection, I find incredible wisdom that comes and it arises, you know, between us, almost as if it's not theirs and not mine, but something that both of us are channeling from a greater place. And I know that might sound strange or corny or unbelievable, but that's kind of, I guess, what perhaps I was able to bring to Chipotle is an ability to sort of harness the wisdom from those around me. And I feel like there's a lot more wisdom in my brain than could ever have come from me or from the people I'm talking to, but it seems to be generated by an interchange between me and another human being. But you speak so much about philosophy that sounds more like Buddhism, more like spirituality in your book, right? I thought I was going to be reading a business book about scaling a restaurant. <laughs> you were. You were. What could ever work better than to scale a restaurant or to build a business than to actually harness the beauty and wisdom and talent of human beings? <laughs> so I think any business book that doesn't talk about that, and listen, I haven't read leadership books. I've read excerpts that people sent me. When I was CEO, I got sent lots and lots of business books, but I didn't really have time to read them. But I did read excerpts sometimes. But People talk way too much about money and the numbers. If you want to start a business and make a lot of money, I would say that if your goal was to make a lot of money, that is the first indication that you're not going to make a lot of money. I mean, you just mentioned Elon Musk. Why is Elon Musk successful? Because he wants to make money? Well, that can't be the case because you know, after he sold his first business, he threw all of his money into Tesla and into SpaceX, all of it. I mean, all of it, such that he was absolutely broke and had to borrow money from friends for a while and live in his friend's basement for a while. So Elon wasn't worried about money. You know, Elon was passionate and wanted to do something that he was thrilled to do and that he thought would be awesome for the world. He wasn't trying to make money. He was trying to make an awesome product with Tesla. He wasn't trying to make money. He was trying to go to space with rockets. It wasn't about the money, right? Mm -hmm. Now, of course, because he was so fascinated and passionate about doing something beautifully well, money followed. And that's almost always the case with anyone who makes a successful business or makes a lot of money. It wasn't money they were trying to make. They were trying to make something incredible. You know, I mean, the iPhone, you know, Steve Jobs was trying to make this incredibly designed, amazing thing that everyone would love and totally be thrilled with and think was perfect and wouldn't be able to live without. And his passion was to build an amazing, amazing, incredibly well-designed product. And he was a design genius, you know, but if his goal was just to make a lot of money, I mean, sure, in the background, he might've thought, he might have thought, wow, cool, it'll be neat to make a bunch of money. And I'm sure when he did, I know when he made a lot of money, he thought, hey, this is cool, you know, because it was some sort of scorekeeping way of saying that I'm winning. But I find that the people I've known in my life who as a young person set about trying to make money are those who right now are not as happy and don't have any money or not much. Mm -hmm. I find that the people who are thrilled and excited about something and allow themselves to go in the direction that they're thrilled to go tend to be people who become quite, you know, quote unquote, successful in the eyes of society. But society thinks that success means wealth, you know, and fame. Well, that's not what success means. Although the things that are success, like feeling fulfilled, becoming the best version of yourself, helping the people around you be at your best, improving the lives of those around you, those things, those are success, in my opinion. But when that happens, well, those people tend to make a bunch of money. So then society calls that successful. But really, the success is the thing underneath it, underlying it. That's amazing, Monty. So when you guys were starting out Chipotle, right, what was that gift that you wanted to bring to the world? If not well, money, what was that gift? Oh, I mean, delicious food available to everyone. Not just delicious, but food that was truly satisfying and that was nutritious, not just, we wanted to bring food that nourished, okay? And to bring food that nourished, you have to worry about the ingredients. You have to worry about the content of the food. Is it actually good for you? 
Is it something that's delicious to eat? Is it something that respects the environment and the animals and all the inputs that were put into the ingredients? Is it something that's affordable so that everybody can afford to eat truly nourishing food? So that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to change the way people think about and eat fast food. There's this whole fast food business out there everywhere. And if you look at what fast food, let's just rewind before Chipotle. So let's rewind 25 years. What was fast food? You know, you can think of all the chains, McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, Arby's, you know, whatever. Okay. And what was that food? Well, it was something cheap for sure. Okay. It was something that, you know, might be satisfying because there's a lot of fat and a lot of salt and a lot of things that satisfy us. And it was something maybe really fast, you know, obviously. So you can grab and go and put it in a bag and take it with us, whatever. Convenient. It was those things. But one thing that it lacked, it wasn't something where someone was worried about the provenance of the ingredients. It wasn't something where someone was worried about the nutritional value. It wasn't something where someone was bringing really great cooking and sort of high-end cooking techniques to something that otherwise was considered quite ordinary, like a burrito. And so Chipotle sort of did all that and made something that was special and really extraordinary available to everybody. And that was the magic of Chipotle. And also it was very fast, you know, because people would come in, you wait in line for a moment, but it's very fast. So it's fast and it's convenient and it's inexpensive, but it's also super high-end ingredients that are actually cooked. People use whisks and knives and cooking equipment and they're chopping vegetables. And, you know, it's actually real food, but very, very quick. So Chipotle was able to change the way people think about and eat fast food such that people all over the country and in other countries where we have Chipotle could start to say, wow, if we want to eat quickly and we don't have much money, it doesn't have to be something that isn't a very high-end experience. It can be something really special. And that was, I guess, it sort of democratized good cooking. I love that. I love that. So I'm just going to pause on that note, and I'm going to ask a live audience, 294 people live with us. And Monty, you can see the comments as well. So let's do this, okay? You guys click the Q&A button on Zoom you can ask a question. You can ask a question and you can see the questions that other people are asking. I'm going to wait a moment, see which question is both good and which gets a high number of votes. And I'm going to bring you live to have you interview Monty. How about that? Okay. So oh, fun. Uh, think about your biggest question for Monty right now, but one rule, you know, ask a question that's going to be beneficial to everyone. So nothing personal. Don't start with, well, I have this restaurant in Denver. What would you advise I do? It must be a question that's going to give a benefit to everyone. Now, Monty, while waiting for the questions, I want to steer this in a different direction. The documentary that you're currently creating, A Search for Unity, Connected, A Search for Unity. This is why I'm so fascinated by that documentary. Monty, can you guess what is Mind Valley's highest value? I hope it's something like, I, I am guessing, but I'm hoping it's a search for the truth. It's unity. Unity is our highest value. Everything oh, okay. is about human unity. In fact, one uh-huh. of my long-term goals is to create Earth-centric identity on the planet. We are looking at unveiling an Earth flag with cooperation of the UN and world governments. Humanity is not ready for that right now. We are still dealing with the byproducts of nationalism, but they will be in about 15 years. This is why the audience that you're seeing right now are literally from everywhere in the world. You know the full title of my docuseries, right? What's the full title? Connection, A Search for Unity. Wow, I know. That's what, <laughs> that's what I see. Now, and what's interesting is Mindvalley has an app coming out called Connections by Mindvalley. No way! It's already out, but we're adding an algorithm to the app that connects people across the world based on a human matching engine. We're trying to create friendship between people around the world. Sort of like that old idea. That's exactly what we're trying to do. (laughs) Like handouts, but using AI to predict who anywhere on the planet and even in your city you can strike a friendship with. And we are tweaking the algorithm to bridge the political divide so that, you know, you don't end up in an echo bubble. Social media today sucks. And we're looking at building a better Facebook. That's where we're going. It's not just about... Oh, that's education. wonderful. That's a it's about human connection. When will we be able to watch the documentary? It should be out in February and March on PBS stations all throughout the country. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. And I'm so touched that you're working on a project that means so much to like the heart of our membership. Mind Valley is so much into human-centric business, into humanity plus companies, companies that improve the world and human connection. But I want to understand something about you, Monty. Where does this come from? Like deep inside you, you're one of the most like loving individuals I've met. Like talking to you, oh, I, well, I thank you. Oh my God. Like talking to a CEO it's really sweet. A $35 billion company. 
I feel like I'm talking to a guy who just came out of an ashram in India, you know? Well, oh my God, that's really sweet. Thank you, Vishen. Well, Which that's... I just realized is literally what Steve Jobs did. You know, Steve Jobs went to India and lived in an ashram. So I guess that's not so unusual when it comes to... Well, that's what I wanted to do coming out of college, actually. But I got sidetracked somewhere. Where does that come from? Well, I guess my whole life, ever since I was a little boy, my heart's always just tickled. In other words, I just... I'm an extremely sensitive person to the point where sort of I feel everything, you know, so I could feel, for instance, I've always felt like if someone comes into the room and they're hurting, I feel their pain. If someone comes into the room and they're really, you know, vivacious and happy, I feel that. I've got this sort of big radar screen, I guess, inside me. And, you know, it's not always a great thing, right? Because it hurts sometimes. A lot of times it hurts to be me because I don't like it when other people are hurting and it brings me to tears. And so I'm one of these people that I cry easily. I cry. It doesn't even have to be a good movie. If it's got a sad part, I'm the guy crying, you know, (laughs) but you know, so I've always been very, very, I guess the word is empathetic of other people, but also of animals and also of just sort of the way I feel walking through a forest. I just feel a lot. I guess I had two choices. I guess I could have either embraced that vulnerability that I felt, or I guess I could have tried to extinguish it. But those were the only two choices because it's painful and it's a lot. So I've always felt a lot, a lot, a lot, lots of feelings, lots. So it was embarrassing, I think, as a young kid to be so filled with feelings and so filled with emotions and so and just everything striking me as such a big deal. So I was sort of like, you know, as delicate as a feather. And I guess what I I had to realize in order to survive is that I didn't need to defend. I could actually allow the sort of reality of my vulnerability just to be there. And I started to trust that it would be okay to do that and that other people wouldn't take advantage of it. And I found that the more I trusted that no one would take advantage of it, the more I trusted everyone I came in contact with, with being who I really am, Mm -hmm. the more they actually embraced it and were loving and wonderful. And so there was a huge, huge reward for the more I'd be myself, the more I'd relaxed into my vulnerability, the more I'd relax into my sort of essence, the more people were like really caring of me and loving of me and delicate with me. You know, I'm a person who's really easily hurt, but when I put myself out there and share who I really am, people take care of me. And this caused me to become extremely loving of people and the human race generally, because I find that no matter where I go in the world, if I just land there and walk up to someone and really am myself, my whole self, my most vulnerable, frightened, anxious, fearful, but also excited and, you know, happy self, people embrace it and take care of it. And so I find that when I really put my heart at your mercy, for example, Vision, if I sit with you and I put my heart at your mercy, if I come to you with no defense, if I come to you and let you know, you can hurt me if you'd like. Mm -hmm. You don't. You don't. People won't hurt you if you really let them. But if you come at people with defense and you come with an intensity about you want to be dominate, you want to beat them and be better. And well, then you tend to create in them an offensive nature that comes at you and you have sort of this fighting. But it's like in my book where I talk about, you know, if we can learn to not defend and just, you know, sort of be our most vulnerable self, people won't attack it. It's very, very seldom that someone will attack it. I'm not saying there aren't people in the world that won't, that won't try to take advantage of you. But I think there's a natural thing that if somebody's back is turned and you stab someone in the back or you punch them when they're looking the other way, no one thinks that's okay, right? People say, put up your dukes, let's settle this. Like, put your fists up. Why are they saying, put your fists up? Why don't they just hit you? Well, because they don't deem it fair to hit you unless you put up your fists first. They want you to defend so that they can feel good about hitting you. But no one oh feels good God. about hitting a guy with his hands at his knees listening to your book. And I remember this idea that you shared, it's in chapter two, you mentioned about not reacting when somebody bullies you or somebody calls you a name. Let's go deeper in that because this is so touching. I'm getting goosebumps listening to you right now. Please oh, thank you. There's a paragraph that's sort of right on this and it's just short. So I'll just read it if it's okay. Yeah, please go ahead. Um, this, is from, this is from the book. So we as humans are inherently limited. Our brains are only so big. Our bodies are only so strong. Our ability to understand the whole truth of the universe is limited. These limitations affect us all. We may as well surrender to this fact and stop defending some fantasy that we can personally overcome these limitations. Such a surrender allows us to experience as fully as possible the truth of the universe, the truth that is God and is love. We can choose to be connected to something far greater than we are. We can partake of it. We can be a student who listens to all the wisdom of our world. 
a satellite dish taking in all that we can experience in our world and beyond. We can allow there to be a fluency between our hearts and something vastly more powerful. This fluency arises from vulnerability. If we allow this, then our personal limitations lose their importance. We become free. We are no longer cut off from greatness, but rather have rejoined it. This connection to greatness, the universe, God, whatever you choose to call it, and which comes from absolute vulnerability, is liberation. Liberation is good. We should want it for ourselves and others. It is a gift to teach and share this liberation. And that's another reason why leadership is so important. And then I go on. But the point, again, is that by letting go of our defenses, we allow a fluency between our hearts and the person we're in front of, okay, so we can partake of their wisdom, their beauty, their love, their greatness. And we can also partake of the greatness that is sort of, when I talk about sort of the universe, when I talk about God, I don't want to talk about a God of a religion, okay, because that's limiting. I want to talk about, you know, all that is available. So we as human beings are incredibly limited, right? Eyes, ears, nose, mouth, we can feel temperatures. And there's some other sort of not so direct things that we know we can feel, proprioception, all these other kinds of feelings, but it's limited. But yet, what do we all have that's not so limited? Well, we have instinct. We have tens of thousands of years of intelligence innate in our cells, right? If I go boo, you know, you're going to shake or jump away from me, but that's not because you've learned that in this lifetime. That's something that, that your great, 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 you know, grandparents had to do. Otherwise, they wouldn't have lived to have you as a child. So you are a brilliant, brilliant evolutionary piece of tens of millions of years of passed down brilliance and evolution. So each of us is that. Each of us is this incredibly special survivor. And that survivor came from literally millions of years of evolution and built-in instinct and built-in intelligence. So the intelligence we learn during this lifetime is sort of pathetic in comparison to the intelligence that we have that comes from something innate that is just within us. And you can call that God. You can call it instinct. You can call it ability to channel the universe, whatever you want to call it. And it doesn't matter. It's good fun to come up with different names for it. But the point is, if we stop trying to be so damn powerful and just get in touch with what is innate within us and within each other and within the universe around us, there's an enormous amount of intelligence that we can get a hold of and we can use it. It's ours to be used. It's not separate from us. We aren't it, but it isn't not us. Just like a tree growing on the surface of the world, that tree is not the earth, but it is not not the earth. You know, It is an extension of the earth. And so each of us is an extension of you know, the universe, that we're an extension of God. We aren't God, but we're not not God. Whatever God is, God is delighted for us to participate as fully as possible in God, you know? And so the more we can participate that and be our fullest self, the more of a powerfully positive force we will be in the universe and to people around us. And that's what makes life exciting. That's what life's about. So anyway... <laughs> I'm probably rambling, but I think... Uh, no, you are I mean, not rambling at all. That is some deep stuff. People are talking about how beautiful this is. Bobby Layton is saying, I'm crying. Wow. I have to be honest. I don't hear many CEOs talk like that. And this is really, <laughs> really beautiful to hear. Guys, if you're live with us right now, Mind Valley members, type your comment, share, give Monty some love. Let him know what you think about this. Check out the comments so you get a taste of how you're touching people's lives here. Good Lord, these are so sweet. You guys are going to make me cry, seriously. So, <laughs> oh my God. If you've enjoyed this podcast, consider joining Mind Valley All Access. Now you can sign up to Mind Valley All Access and unlock every Mind Valley program instantly. Get access to transformation from all of the world's best minds in everything from parenting to biohacking to mind, body, spirit, entrepreneurship, work productivity. Learn from the likes of Ben Greenfield, Jim Quick, Shafali Sabari, Stephen Kotler, and more. All available to you for less than $2 a day. Simply visit mindvalley.com forward slash now. That's mindvalley.com forward slash N-O-W. And you'll be surprised to see that Mindvalley All Access now comes with advanced technologies to completely transform your learning, your networks, and your human connections, including our new private social network for students, Connections by Mindvalley, and our Altered State Inducement app, Ombana, which complements our regular training with Altered State methodologies to transform you at a subconscious level. Check it all out on mindvalley.com forward slash N-O-W.
mindvalley.com forward slash now. Monty, I want to ask you a question. So you spoke about how, how you're so empathetic, right? And this has been a gift. You're vulnerable, you're empathetic. So I want to ask you a question. I'm, I'm actually going to record this answer on my phone because I think this is going to be a cool, pretty cool answer. But I often talk to people. I was talking to another, this amazing woman just the other day, and she was talking about how she's very intuitive and she's very empathetic, but that can be sometimes difficult in the world because you feel for everyone, right? How do you create yes. a situation where you can be connected, you can be empathetic, you can be a compassionate, loving being, but you can also be in control of your own power? Well, okay, so it's a great question. People think there is a dichotomy between power and weakness. They think that, you know, power looks strong and stern and serious. And, you know, like, like in my book, I talk about, you know, actors like uh, Clint Eastwood or Daniel Craig or Chris Helmsworth, you know, like Thor, you know, that's what we think of as power as human beings is people who can smash shit, break stuff, you know, flex and have enormous biceps and yell and nothing hurts their feelings. And, you know, that's what we think of as power. And then we think of as weakness as tears, vulnerability, softness. We think of that as weakness. The funny thing is we've got it absolutely and almost perfectly backwards. And we humans are fun at doing this. We have it just perfectly backwards. You know, I make an analogy in the first episode of Connected, and actually it's in the book too, that water, if you look at a lake and you throw a big rock into it, there's a giant splash, right? And the rock goes to the bottom. But what happens then? Well, the water seals right over again and goes calm. Nothing happens to the water. The water is fine. The water doesn't care that a rock went through it and went to the bottom. Now it's, it's fine. The water is not troubled. But if you have a lake that's frozen with ice, which seems stronger, and you throw a big rock under that, guess what? It cracks the ice and it breaks it. And the ice doesn't reseal. Well, eventually it frees again. But analogously, ice is weak compared to water, which is strong. So the truth, and when I said earlier, when you said, what's my first principle? The truth, which I think is the same as unity. Okay, because the unity of the world is the truth. The truth is we are all united. That's the truth. We just haven't all figured it out yet. But if you want to find the most powerful aspect of the world, the truth is the most powerful thing. It's the thing that needs no defense. It's the thing that it doesn't matter whether you and I believe it or not. It's there. It's true. It is irrefutable. It is unbreakable. It is incredibly powerful. So when we allow ourselves to be ourselves, to be what we call weak, to be what we call vulnerable, to cry when we're sad, to feel anxious when we're anxious, to have fear when we're afraid, and we just allow those things, then what arises, we become connected we become connected to the truth. Now, in my opinion, the truth is exactly the same thing as love. And love is exactly the same thing as God. So in my mind, truth, love, and God are absolutely synonymous. They're the same thing. There is no difference. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that if you eliminate everything in the world that is a distraction, if you eliminate everything that is a distraction, what's at the base of everything is love. That's what's left. And so if you think about the stuff that the universe is made of, it's made of love. That's what's out there. And the only thing between us and love is the fact that we put up all these defenses. We put up, you know, the, our human ideas, our imperfections, our anger, our, our defensiveness, our ego. Okay. And so that's fine. We've got all that stuff, but it does get in the way of our connection to the truth of the universe. Anytime we are really understanding the truth, anytime we are in touch with the truth, then we will feel that connected feeling, okay? Because we are in touch with God. We are in touch with love. And love isn't the opposite of hate, by the way. There is no opposite of love. There's no opposite of love. Love is a thing that has no opposite. Hate isn't the opposite of love. Hate is just the absence of an understanding and connection to truth. And just like hell isn't some place we go when we die, hell is a place that we make for ourselves right here on earth when we are very distant from the truth. When we were defending, we were putting a lot of screens between ourselves and the truth. So the more we let the truth into our heart, even when it's uncomfortable, you know, the more we let that truth into our heart, the more we began to feel ourselves blossom. The more we begin to feel the, the love of the universe rush in and sort of care for us and hold us. So, you know, if you're in a house and it's a sunny, sunny day and you close all the shades, it doesn't mean the sun's not shining. It just means you've closed all the shades. You can't see the sun, but it doesn't do anything about it. There's no extinguishment of the sun. 
And so if you then open the shade and you look at the sun, you're like, oh, it's sunny. Well, no, it's not sunny because you open the shades. It's always sunny. That's all. That's what's out there is the sun. Obviously, the analogy being love. Love's out there. We can hold it away and put our hands up like this and block it, or we can just let it rush in. But to let it rush in, we have to be our fullest, most vulnerable self. We have to surrender. We have to surrender. We have to surrender all this crap where we defend and where we push away and where we try to say, I'm better than that. And I'm strong and I'm excellent. And I'm, you know, it's like, just relax. It doesn't matter who you are. You are who you are. Just relax. Stop. Stop defending. Stop defending. Oh. And when we stop defending, there's this huge relief. <laughs> okay. It's like, oh, and I remember once my oldest son was like, you know, he was really mad at me. He's like, you're an asshole. And if for some reason, this one time I said, okay, maybe I'm an asshole. And I just looked at him. And I said, you know, maybe I'm sorry. I don't mean to be. Maybe I'm just, maybe that's just who I am. And it was like, all of a sudden he looked at me and he, it was like, it would poof. You know, there was no more, he couldn't bring any more aggression towards me because I didn't defend. <laughs> I was like, I laid down on the sidewalk and said, okay, you know, there it is. <laughs> anyway, so it's really fun just to surrender. It's wonderfully liberating to surrender and stop defending all this stuff that's not true anyway. Wow, I, man, <laughs> I almost have tears. And I was listening to you talk about this in chapter two of the book, and it really had me thinking. Reading your book is a meditative experience, by the way. I got to oh, say that. thank you. God, that is a, that's, I think, I don't know, that could be the hugest compliment. Thank you so much, Vish, and I'm really so, glad. So I want to bring up, I want to bring up Lisa Diaz. Lisa asked a question and it got the highest rating of all the questions. So Lisa, you ready to come on live and, and interview Monty? I'm going to make you a panelist right now. Lisa's question is, leadership is anchored in trust. I love that. How do we teach that to children? Let's expand that to how do we teach that in general? Okay, so Lisa, you're going to ask the question. We're going to give you this, this video as a social media snippet that you will have the right to share on your social media, okay? That time you got to interview the CEO of Chipotle. Lisa, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you so much. Vision, Monty, this is amazing. This is a dream come true, by the way. Man, oh, Bali thank you. Amazing things with my life, transformative, I must say. So this is great. So thank you so much for the time. I wanted to ask you, Monty, leading with vulnerability is amazing. I would like to see you having a family. How do you teach that to your children? It's such a great question. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate it. I think the answer is that children are born with it. It's not a question of teaching it to children. It's a question of not ruining them. It's a question of not unteaching it to them. Kids come into the world with unbelievable perception and all the instinct I discussed. They have all of it already. They're like a perfect canvas just waiting to get painted on. The problem is the paint is usually not the right paint. <laughs> we teach them all these things that actually that actually tend to diminish them or we hurt them or we disencourage their vulnerability. We say things like, stop crying. Don't be a crybaby. You know, there's nothing to cry about. Toughen up, get tough. And we actually encourage young children to put up these fences, these sort of barricades, this armor. We encourage them to put on armor. Okay. And the more armor they put on, and that armor comes in the form of this ego. I'm not saying ego is all bad. Kids do need to learn how to, you know, understand, okay, I'm a separate body, which needs to eat. I need food. I need to compete for my amount of food in this world, all that, you know, it's okay. It's fine. But basically if we can teach a child from the youngest age, that their feelings are fine, that if they're afraid, that's fine to feel afraid. That if they're feeling anxiety, where they're humans, human beings are these big ball of billions and billions of nerve cells. I mean, we're going to feel stuff. We're going to feel things that we don't define as pleasant to feel. We're going to feel things that are frightening. We're going to feel things, we're going to feel anxiety. We're going to feel feelings that are uncomfortable. Uncomfortableness is part of the human condition. And it is a real part of the human condition because we got nerves, you know, and we're going to bump into walls and we're going to have people say things to us that hurt us. If we teach children that having those feelings is good and that it's not better to feel happy than sad, it's just different to feel happy than sad. It's not better to feel, you know, excited than afraid. They're really two sides of the same coin, you know? I remember when I used to be on swim team, I'd go there and I'd be on the block ready to jump in and waiting for the gun to go off. I was terrified. The water was cold. I was dry. I was terrified I might lose. I, it was all this competitiveness. I was terrified. Well, of course I was. If I wouldn't have been, there would have been something wrong with me. And yet we think there's something wrong with us. We think there's something wrong with us when we feel anxious in a situation that would make anyone anxious. No, there's nothing wrong with us. There'd be something wrong with us if we didn't feel anxious. But we need to allow 
kids to be who they are. We need to encourage that when they're feeling those feelings, that those are beautiful things. Those are powerful things. Those are wonderful things that they're feeling, even if they don't feel so wonderful. We need to teach humankind to embrace and love those parts of themselves that they tend not to embrace and love. You know, all of us love it when we wake up one day in a great mood and we're happy and excited and we're thrilled. And I mean, all of us love that. And all of us don't like it when we wake up and feel, oh God, today's, oh my gosh, it's a hard day. But if we can learn just to forgive the present moment, just to forgive it, like, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Today I feel a little anxiety. It's okay. That's part of it. That's part of what the human experience is about. And I want to partake in the whole human experience because the whole human experience is the thing that begets a really beautiful, interesting, valuable life of growth and abundance and unfoldment. You know, if we only want the, the really good parts, well, it becomes boring. If you think about food, right? If you have food that's only sweet, just sweet, 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 it's boring, right? And if you have food that's only sour, well, it's, that's no fun either. But the best foods in the world, if you look at them, are foods that are a balance between fat, salt, and acid, right? It's like, I'll take a funny example, like a hot dog. A hot dog is fat with a lot of salt in it. And what do we dip it in? Well, we dip it in mustard. You know, or ketchup, both of which are highly acidic, fat, salt, and acid. That mixture of fat, salt, and acid, it makes a great meal. Even ice cream, it's sweet, but it's loaded with salt. And what do we put on it? Chocolate sauce. Chocolate sauce is very, what's the word? It's got acidity to it. It's got, you know, that bite to it if it's, you know, semi-sweet chocolate. And that the hot fudge sundae tastes great, but it's better than just the ice cream, right? Or an ice cream even has salt in it and fat. And so there's a balance to life and living a life of balance is great. When I did this docuseries, so far that we've done six episodes, which are going to come out in February. But if I was to say one thing that I learned that's just incredible through this whole docuseries, it's the power of struggle. Struggle is the most important thing in the world for human beings. It is our struggle. Our struggle is not saying we should run away from. Struggle is the thing that makes us beautiful. Struggle is the place from which we derive wisdom. Struggle is where all of the richness comes from you know, struggle. We're here on earth to struggle. That's why we're here. We're here to struggle. And from that struggle to grow, to learn, to become the fullest version of ourselves. I love that response. Yeah, that's, Auntie. that's beautiful. And Lisa, thank, thank you. you so much. And thank you so much, Lisa. It was so nice to meet you. With me. This is great. So for all of you else who are watching this interview, we're actually also broadcasting this moment live on my Instagram. So Lisa, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll be able to see yourself interviewing Monty. I put you guys both live because I thought Monty's response to this question would be so, so relevant to anyone out there. And not just for people who are parents, but, you know, just as an overall philosophy to bring into life. Vision. Okay. May I ask a second part of a quick question? How do you translate um, that into the corporate world? Let's do that. In the meanwhile, Lisa, so Lisa, firstly, thank you. The audience voted you having the best question. So I think that's a good one. Let's talk about how to translate that to the corporate world. But first, Lisa, let people who want to connect with you know how they can find you on our connection app. Is it just Lisa Diaz? Yes, Lisa Diaz. And the what country are you in? I'm originally, I was born and raised in the Dominican Republic, and I came to the U.S. to pursue a master's degree in communication. So I'm based in Miami for the last 20 years. Awesome. And thank you for strategically placing my books on your bookshelf. You are such a little That's, that's such a coincidence, Vision. You have no idea. It's a coincidence. You're just trying to suck up. You just wanted to. Well, fine. Since you're giving me free publicity for my book, we will go ahead with that second question. Go ahead and ask <laughs> Yeah, the question was like, how do you lead with vulnerability? Can you give us an, a clear example on the corporate world, like for business leaders? Yes. I guess the thing that's first coming to my mind is it's much, much, much easier than you can ever imagine. Everyone in the world wants to be seen, valued, loved, and understood. That's what everyone wants, actually. We go about it in such crazy different ways, a lot of times ineffectively. But that's what we all want is to be seen, valued, loved, and understood. So in the corporate world, as a leader, when you want to lead people and you want them to get behind you and go in a direction, you have to, first of all, identify something worthy of going towards, right? A valuable and worthy vision because great people won't want to go towards something that's not beautiful and valuable. So once you have a great vision for people, though, when will they follow you? Well, they'll only follow you if they think that you will help them go there. That's simple enough, right? So how will they believe that you will help them go there? Well, they will believe that you will help them go there when you come to look at them, sit with them, look at them, come to know them, love them, care about them, and be willing to challenge them, push them, help them. And what it's all coming down to is this concept of empowerment, okay? When you empower your people, 
they will become the best version of themselves. But how do you empower someone? I wrote a definition of empowerment. I really am proud of it because it's very prescriptive. It helps. Let me tell you the definition. So empowerment is when somebody is confident in their ability and encouraged by their circumstances such that they feel motivated to become the, the very best version of themselves. Let me say it again. Confident in your ability and encouraged by your circumstances such that you feel motivated and liberated to become the very best version of yourself. Okay, so there's two pieces of that definition. Confident in your ability and encouraged by your circumstances. Confident in your ability is very easy part, okay? But it's the places that in corporate world, most people spend way too much time. Confident in your ability just means you know how to do what you're doing. Like for instance, if the goal is to cut an onion beautifully, well, you teach them how to cut an onion beautifully and you can do it slowly for a while. You get better and better and better. And once you can do that, you're confident in your ability to cut an onion. But okay, so that's the easy part. We all tend to train people, train, train, train people to be confident in their ability. But that's actually the easy part of empowerment. The harder part is creating a situation where people are encouraged by their circumstances. And even though that's the most important part, and even though it's the part that's usually missing in a culture that's not empowered, people keep going back and training, training, training. If they find a bunch of dirty tables in the restaurant, they say, hey guys, I told you how to wash these tables. Here, watch this. Here's how you wipe a table. Well, guess what? They already know how to wipe the table. They're not wiping it for some reason. It's not because they don't know how. So Confident in your ability and encouraged by your circumstances such that you feel motivated and at liberty to fully devote your talents to a purpose. How do you create encouraging circumstances? Well, that's the part where you have to sit down with someone, know them, care about them, understand them, want them to be at their best, be willing to challenge them. And when you have all that, and that means you've got to be vulnerable because if you're not vulnerable and you're not showing them who you are, they're not going to feel a trust of letting you know who they are. And so you've got to make that connection with somebody. And you can't connect with someone if you aren't vulnerable. You can't connect with someone and cause them to feel cared for if you don't actually care for them, if you don't want what's best for them. And when you really sit with someone and you really care about someone and you really want what's best for someone, guess what that means? That means you love them, okay? That's what's happening. I mean, we don't need to call it that if that's too embarrassing or freaks us out, but that's what's going on. Love is just compassion, understanding, and knowing. Because once we really, since I believe that the universe is love, and I believe that each of us are love, just messed up love, because we've got these defenses that are we have been placed on us by our difficult life in society and the difficulty of being a human being with a billion nerves. But if you get beneath all that, all of us are love at our heart. All of us are a piece of God, a piece of love. All of us are connected to the truth. So when you see that in somebody else and really allow that connection to take place with you and somebody else, that gives them encouraging circumstances. It's no different than what a great, great, great parent does for their child. What do they do? Do they just let their child, hey, man, whatever whatever you do is fine. Well, sure, they want you to be your best version of yourself. But if you come home one day, you know, as a 14-year-old kid with a scotch in one hand and a joint in the other, your parents aren't going to probably, hey, man, that's all good. Your parents are going to wait a minute. You know, you're a 14-year-old kid. That's not what's best. You know, and they're going to be tough on you for a minute. So creating encouraging circumstances doesn't just mean comfort. It doesn't just mean easy. It means knowing, caring, wanting someone to be at their best, being willing to challenge them, but they know that what you want for them is for them to be at their best. They know that you want the best thing for them. That creates encouraging circumstances. So a lot of companies, they get this so messed up, it's not even funny. And then they give people like, they put posters on the walls or they give them you know, little mugs or koozies that have sayings on them like, be empowered. Well, be empowered is like a man going up to a woman and saying, love me, you know, love me, you know, love me. It's like, you know, even Beauty and the Beast had that figured out. The Beast has to get her to kiss him willingly, and then he's not a beast anymore. And the Beast tried that, right? Love me, damn it, love me. And it didn't work. But eventually, he just relaxed and became himself, and his heart opened, and then love erupted and happened. And that's what love will always happen if we get out of the way. Love will always happen if we just get the heck out of the way. And so with the people you lead, back to your question about in a corporation, if you go into a corporation, and in my case, if you become the CEO of a corporation and you bring this love and you care about people and you sit with them, and I sat with over 25,000 people at Chipotle, one-on-one in every restaurant, every time, but I'd sit with them and I would sit down with them and go, how are you? And it wasn't about the work. I'd be like, how are you doing? Who are you? What's up? You know, and they would talk to me. Oh my gosh, nice to talk to you. It's great to meet you. You're the CEO. I can't believe I get to sit down with you. And I said, well, I can't believe I get to sit down with you. This is great. You know, and they're like, wow, okay. And then they'd realize I'm just another person. Nothing more or less special about me than anybody else. I'm just another person. And so 
then they'd let their guard down. And then all of a sudden their soul would start to flow out and my soul would flow out. And there'd be this beautiful interchange and we'd feel this wonderful warmth, which of course is love, but we can't say that. You don't have to say that every moment if it's going to freak people out. But love just happens if you get the heck out of the way. When you come into a corporation and you demonstrate that you're going to create confident in your ability and encouraged by your circumstances, then people become empowered and things just explode in a very positive direction for the organization. Monty, my favorite line, my favorite line in your Oops. book, the line that really touched me was your definition of love. I want to ask you to just share that with us because it's such a powerful idea. But first, thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us and for co-hosting this interview. So Monty, I know we're a little bit over. Are you okay with five more minutes? Because people are just loving this. We have oh, I'm, I'm fine. Yep. Okay, great. A lot of people define love in a particular way. You love me means you are, you know, they get confused with romantic love, but can love exist between a boss and a coworker? Can love exist between two friends? Can love exist between a mentor and a mentee? And you give a definition and the answer is practically yes to all of those. It was about oh, absolutely. trust and vulnerability. It was so beautifully worded. Chapter two or chapter one. Could you talk about your definition of love? Okay. Love is compassion. Love is when you look out at someone else and you want to have complete compassion for them. Love is when you see someone else and can appreciate them for exactly who they are, where you have endless curiosity for them, where you want to allow them to be the fullest version of themselves and you want to participate in that, you know? So love is all about sort of growth and unfoldment. And it's more of an allowing than it is a thing. Because like I say, since love is what's out there in the universe everywhere, and that we just need to get out of the way. So love is wanting for someone else for them to be the fullest version of themselves, right? So if I say, I love you, you know, what I mean is I want you to be the most you version of you, the fullest version of yourself. I want you to be your own essential self. And I want to allow that and not put any sort of limitations on that. And there's a lot of different ways that people use the term, but usually when they say, when you say, oh, I love that guy, there's a sense of, I care about that person. I know them. I understand them. I have a connection with them. There's a relationship there, a connection. So love really just describes a sort of untainted, beautiful, open, unlimited allowing of the sort of two souls to understand one another. I love that. I love that. That was one of the most beautiful definitions of love. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I did a better job in my book, but I just forgot exactly what I said. I forgot where it is. Yeah, no, no, I, I get that. Very often authors forget what they write down. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's as well. Like I'd see someone else share a quote by me and I'm like, that quote's brilliant. I wrote that. When you <laughs> People are saying, wow, I'm speechless. Wow. Thank you so much. So I love that. Well, it's a, kind of a giant paragraph. Yeah. Found it? Yeah, I did. Well, I talk about, like many Americans, I was exposed to the Christian outlook as a child. Then I talk about other religions. No matter how you choose to go about it, to look for the love I'm describing is a beautiful practice. Our failure to see it notwithstanding, it's all over the place. Closing the blinds doesn't mean the sun's not shining. If we can cultivate an openness and calm our rejection of our current situation, we'll see and experience more and more of it for the simple reason that it is everywhere. So what? Should we just love everyone? Well, sure, but it's not that simple. As often as not, one or both of any two people will erect barriers to complete openness, which inhibits the connection I'm talking about. Great leaders find a way to make this connection safe such that a connection and trust emerge. I believe love is all around us. I believe love is infinite. I believe that love has no opposite and that it is available for everyone and everything at all times. The fact that we do not always feel the warmth of love around us is a result of our own limitations, such as our limited senses, our dysfunction, our effort to build ourselves up as something greater than those around us and our limited understanding of reality. If we call this reality the truth, then we could say that the truth exists independent of our ability to fully comprehend it. But if we could somehow fully understand the truth, we would see that the truth of the universe is good, is love, and is God. Okay, here's the very first part of that paragraph. I believe that the growth, development, and unfolding of our soul is the purpose of our life on earth. The magical power that most powerfully promotes our development is love a universally present force that arises in our hearts when we're able to be fully present and quiet the distracting din of our mind and its many judgments. This discussion of love is central to our discussion of leadership because leadership is about helping people grow and blossom towards becoming the best version of themselves. Leaders help others on their journey. Love is what remains when one releases judgment. The absence of judgment allows true understanding, which gives rise to forgiveness, acceptance, compassion, and thus love. 
To love someone is to feel their truth, to feel their essence, the reality of their being beyond personality or ego. When you know a person's truth and are completely present, such that you can feel their essential nature, a feeling of love naturally emerges. The word I'm almost done, sorry. The words I love you imply a closeness, a depth, an understanding, and a camaraderie of souls. By saying you love someone, you are saying, I see you, I know you, understand you, appreciate you, accept you, and I feel a kinship, a closeness to you arising out of that association. There is an awareness that the two of you share a sacred connection, familiarity with oneness, with a universally available consciousness. Then I talk about, well, love is magical and wonderful. It is not rare. Love is free. That's what the book's title is. It is what's left over when one removes everything else. In my view, it is synonymous with truth and with God. When I read that paragraph in your book, that was, that was mind-blowing. That, that gave me goosebumps. And <laughs> thank you. I want to thank, thank you, you. For, for bringing these conversations into the world. Nasanya Ravis, who's a Mind Valley member, just wrote this in our chat. I've always thought CEOs of billion-dollar companies were just mean, rude people and not tuned with the real world. And listening to Monty for the first time, my whole mindset has definitely shifted. Monty, what I love about you is that you're giving and putting forth a new model for leadership that people like me, who are aspiring to to build a billion-dollar company, can look up to. Thank you for showing me a better model. Thank you so much, Vish. And I, I, I'm just so touched and honored that it meant something to you and to your audience. And really wonderful to be here with you today. And thank you so much for your interest in what I'm doing with my book and the docuseries and my message. Absolutely. If you're ever open to it, I know the audience here is going to agree with me. We would definitely want to create like a one or two hour program with you on Mind Valley, on your philosophy as a CEO. So this, Oh, I'd love to. This pouring from your heart, we can get it out to more people, more and more people. Look, look at oh that. Everybody gosh. say, please, yes, yes, let's do this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I would absolutely love that. I mean, it'd be really, really fun. Let's stay in touch. Can I reach you on Instagram? Absolutely. Monty F. Moran. Yeah, and then loveisfree.com is my website for, for everything so you can keep track of what's going on. Can you believe we got that? I think we spent like a hundred bucks to buy that. Wow. Loveisfree.com. I thought that was so neat that that was available. Yeah. So just uh, let me know. And I would love to get more involved with what you're doing. And it's been so much fun to spend time with you. And I can't believe how much you appreciate the things I've said. That's awesome. What you're preaching is exactly the type of education we want to bring to the world, right? You follow mindvalley.com. Just yesterday, we announced our new entrepreneurship curriculum. And today, today, Mindvalley is announcing that we are officially competing with Stanford and Harvard. Within four years, we'll be able to provide any human being anywhere on the planet the equivalent of an Ivy League degree in terms of career prospects, in terms of success in life, but for only $500 a year. So we are taking the university degree, bringing it down to $500 a year and giving everybody a chance to get the best education in the world. So that's the big announcement that's happening today, folks. Watch that. And we are dropping our prices so that more and more people can enroll. All of you, you guys will hear today because it's Cyber Monday. We're permanently dropping the price for all of your subscriptions by $100 on your next renewal. And Monty, we are bringing on great leaders like you and working with learning experience designers to turn their mindset into a transformative experience so that what you preach becomes the next generation's way of doing business. How amazing would that be, right? So thank you, Monty. I just love you, man. You're so, so real, so genuine. <laughs> love you too, Vision. Thank okay. you. Thank you so much. And for people who want to reach out to you to express to you what this conversation meant, and a lot of people are going to write to you. And I know you're going, to, you're going to enjoy reading their comments. I believe your Instagram is Monty F. Moran, right? Yes, Monty F. Moran. Leave Monty a message if this resonated with you. And I saw some of you are talking about how much you love our Connections app. And uh, I think one of you just gave it five stars. If you guys do that, that would mean a lot to me so we can get more people getting on the Connection app because that's how people find and get to attend these live conversations. So thank you so much for that, guys. Also, let me know how I can help you, Vision. If I can help you in your vision and mission in any way, you let me know. Absolutely, Monty. Thanks, Monty. And thank you, everyone, for joining. Bye. Okay, thanks, everybody. I'm Vision Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley podcast, 
Take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body, your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.